Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. Welcome to the podcast, Evan McMullen, candidate for the United States Senate from the great state of Utah. You are running as an independent. Thank you for being here. Great to be with you, Tanya. Thanks for having me. How's the campaign going? First things first. Well, it's going it's going well. You know, we, we've got a uh, an incumbent here, a, a far right incumbent who most Utahns want to replace. And all of that sounds good. The challenge is that uh, that majority of Utahns is divided between Democrats, independents and pro-democracy Republicans. And so the whole name of the game for our campaign is uniting these different groups together uh, to defeat a senator who has embraced the extremes in our politics that threaten the future of our democracy. He participated in the effort to overturn our last election and and our Democratic Republican general, I say. Uh, So we're making progress, though. We're uniting these groups. We are now in a very narrow race with Senator Lee, almost within the the margin of error. We've been rising steadily in the polls. We're keeping pace with him on fundraising. So, you know, things are coming together nicely. But this is important not only for Utah, but, but for the country that we hold people who tried to overturn our last election accountable. And that's what we're doing. All right, so let's just get down to brass tacks, Evan, because you are running as an independent. And I'm just going to be candid with you. I know a lot of Republicans who say, I don't necessarily agree with my party leadership, but we got to beat the other side. I know a lot of Democrats that say, you know what, I don't know that I necessarily agree with my party leadership, but we got to beat the other side. Both major parties, or rather I'll say the partisans of both major parties, seem to dislike the other side more than they might care about doing something proactive or, you know, doing, or I, I, let's say uh, voting for somebody who they might actually like. So if people don't think that you as an independent can win, it doesn't matter how great your platform is they're not necessarily going to vote for you. How do you penetrate that dynamic? Well, you're so right. I mean, that's usually the way independent campaigns are. You know, you've got an independent candidate who's running against the Democrat and the Republican at the same time. And at the end of the day, people mostly retreat to their sides and vote for the side they hate less. And that's how they that's how they do things. So that is usually the way the way it works. And, you know, I ran in 2016 as an independent before that was a, you know, a brief campaign when I was very concerned about the rise of Donald Trump and and the threat that he posed to our democracy and thought Americans and uh, deserved better choices, certainly here in Utah. So but I ran in that way. But we're doing something different this time. Instead of running against everything, we are building a coalition. And so I've gone to principled Republican leaders and to Democrats and and independents and third parties here and ask them to join the effort. So in the case of the Democratic Party and the United Utah Party, a a third party here, um, I asked them not to nominate other candidates into the general election, but rather join my campaign. And that's what they did. And so um, this is a two way race between Mike Lee and, and me. There's not it's not the usual dynamic Democrat, Republican, independent, some third party types. It's, it's a more of a united front to hold Senator Lee accountable and to send better leadership on Utah's behalf to Washington. And so we're learning lessons from that dynamic that you described, because it is so important, I think, these days that those of us who are still committed to our system of self-government, the rule of law, our core values, that we're equal and free, et cetera, we have to stand together regardless of party affiliation. And that's what's happening here in Utah. 
You ran for president in 2016 as an independent conservative. What was your platform? What does that mean to be an independent conservative? You know, everybody, like we toss around these labels these days and everybody's describing the other side uh, in ways that best suit them. But let me hear it from you. What does that mean? Because we hear conservatism described so many different ways from so many different uh, sides of the aisle these days. What was your platform? Well, that's such a, that's such an important point. And I tell people all the time that though I wish it weren't the case, I, you know, I am not single-handedly able to define any word the way I would most like the, like it to be defined, um, but certainly not in politics. But, but I will give my definition of what conservatism is and what it should be. And it's uh, Sir Edmund Burke was one of the intellectual founders of conservatism. And for him, conservatism was about preserving institutions that preserve uh, our, our freedom, that, that, that preserve uh, uh, liberty and equality. Uh, now, that was a long time ago, so their definitions of those words were quite different too, speaking of definitions. But the point was that he thought that institutions were, were very critical, but that he also said though, that sometimes in order to preserve our values, we've got to change institutions. But that was the way he talked about conservatism. Then Abraham Lincoln comes along and he says to the Southern slave owners, you call yourselves conservatives, but what are you really trying to conserve? I'm trying to conserve our commitment to our core values. And that's, that's another part of the way I think about it is that if conservatism is anything, it has to be about conserving our commitment to core values that has never been perfect, obviously, but our journey towards a more perfect commitment and realization of our core values is what conservatism should be if it's worth anything. And what I mean when I say core values are those in the Declaration of Independence that were created free and equal, and therefore we have a democracy and we have voting rights and all of these things. That is what conservatism should be. And if it ain't that, if it's about just conserving power to oneself or one's party or one's tribe, uh, then that that is a conservatism that's not worth having. And that, that's, of course, uh, uh, a danger to, to the American Republic. I think that another danger to the American Republic is that everybody can come up with a good soundbite that sound that will justify whatever it is they're doing as being in defense of America. So, you know what? You want to storm the Capitol because you believe a lie? I'm doing it in defense of America. Do you want to come up with, you know, some sort of massive uh, wealth redistribution plan because you think that the, the gap has grown too great between rich and poor, regardless of the basis of the redistribution? I'm doing it um, for the good of America. So everybody says they're doing it for the good of America. You have described building a coalition in Utah, which is kind of fascinating to me because it sounds like you're able to, I guess, bypass some of the divisions that we see in some of the other states. I mean, you are culture. I don't want to say culturally. I think I saw somewhere in your CV, you worked for a Republican or you worked in the Republican conference at some point, right? Did you grow up Republican? Yeah, I was raised in what I now look back on and realized was a center-right Republican household. So you grow up in a center-right Republican household. Probably fair to say, correct me if you think I'm wrong, I think Utah is one of the more conservative states in the country. The Democrats in Utah might be more conservative Democrats than 
Democrats in other parts of the country. Do you think that it's easier for you to build that kind of cross-party coalition in Utah than it might be for an independent to do, let's say, in California or New York? That's a great question. You know, I'd have to, to think, let That's me think through that a bit. That's why you're on the podcast, because I know, ask great he, questions. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, I mean, look, there, there are people here who are very conservative in Utah, no doubt about it. Um, and we have people here who are very progressive, too. And that is true. We have a, you know, we, Utah Democrats nominated Bernie Sanders, I think, you know, two cycles in, in a row. And we have very progressive people here. There are a lot of people who fit into a general moderate category in Utah. Um, but I think it's deeper than that. You know, I, I mean, Utah's if you've ever been out here, it's a very harsh environment. We're the second driest state in the union. And I'm not talking about alcohol. I'm talking about water. Um, it's, you know, it's a lot of people came through these parts. You know, the indigenous communities were here, obviously. But in terms of, you know, Europeans and Americans, you know, going west, a lot of people came through and said, no, thanks. This is too harsh. I'm going to continue on to California. Um, but for my ancestors who came here in the mid 1800s and others, you know, they were fleeing persecution, government backed mobs because, you know, they had joined a, a religion that was new and unpopular and people wanted them out. And so they fled to these mountains into this desert in search of, of, of freedom and, and, and justice and opportunity. And they had to work together in order to, to survive here. And, and I know that sounds like a nice, you know, campaign story. I get it. But it's, it is true that it, it still informs our culture here. So I think we have a way of doing politics when we're our best selves in which, you know, we disagree on a lot of things, but we try to find common ground so that we can move forward and survive and thrive in this very harsh yet beautiful environment. And so I think that's, that's part of it here. But you know, look, you know, people want Mike Lee gone. They understand that he's been unproductive at best. He's been a, a threat to our system of self-government now. And, you know, there is a, a broad cross-partisan majority of Utahns who want to see that happen, who want to see him replaced because, frankly, our challenges are just getting too difficult. We have severe water shortages, air quality is an issue, high cost of healthcare, inflation, gas prices, all the things we all talk about. They're more acute in many cases here in Utah, and we just can't afford to have somebody who's embraced broken politics of division and extremism like Mike Lee. And that unite, that's a powerful uniter. You know, even though we have other differences, we all know Mike Lee is not the answer and we can do better. And that's what this is about. I guess one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast, Evan, and uh, I, I didn't invite uh, Senator Lee, it's not so much a debate between the two of you that I'm interested in. I'm interested in what it means and what it takes to run as an independent candidate in America today, because there's so much dissatisfaction. Everybody says that they are unhappy. I mean, almost everybody. There are the, you know, some true believers on either side who uh, will always be cheerleaders. But for the most part, in the main, uh, most people are unhappy. Most people will say, you know, I'm, a, I'm more independent. But most people will not vote for an independent because they do not have faith that an independent can pierce through all of the political noise and actually win. You're on the campaign trail working hard, and you do me a great honor by taking time because I— uh, you know, my my audience is not um, like I, I this is not a, a Utah broadcast. But if you 
were to give advice or to kind of think more broadly about what's going on in America now. What advice would you give to the leaders on both sides? Like, what would you say to Democrats? You're really, really doing this wrong. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of trusting your integrity there because I know you didn't grow up as a Democrat. You grew up as a Republican, but, you know, you were in the CIA, so I know you know how to... <laughs> You know how to uh, take a close, careful look at things. What advice would you give Democrats? What advice would you give Republicans? What do you think that both sides are doing wrong? The advice that I would give to one side would be the same advice I'd give to the other. And that is put people first. That's what we have to do. Put people first. I mean, I, I think our politics are so broken right now. It's For example, my opponent, Mike Lee, almost half of his funding comes from special interest groups, most of them outside of Utah. So if you're sitting here in Utah thinking, you know, why doesn't this guy represent me? He doesn't, you know, he doesn't represent me. Why not? And most Utahns feel that way. Well, it's no wonder. Follow the money. You know, he is he is supported mostly uh, by special interest groups outside outside of here. And And then he's quite beholden to party leadership. I mean, he told Donald Trump or the White House while they were trying to overthrow our democracy, tell me what I should say. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Why don't you call your constituents and ask them what you should say? Because they're they're your bosses. But it's, you know, it's party bosses, it's extremist groups, it's special interest groups. All, All of these other powerful interests have gotten their claws in people who are supposed to represent us. And it's especially the case with Senator Lee. And so my advice to everyone in politics and to both parties or any party uh, is to put people first. And and it, it gets complicated after that, certainly, because our system requires you to raise lots of money. And that's something that I, I would like to change. But we've been able to do it, frankly. I'm not taking any PAC or special interest group money. And we've still been able to keep pace with, with my opponent, Mike Lee, who's a 12-year incumbent. But that's, that is the main piece of advice. Put people first. Our system is for people. It's not for special interest groups. It's not for party bosses in other states. And it's not for extremist groups that have you know, mega you know, billionaires and oligarchs backing them for their narrow ideological agendas. It's about serving people. This is what this country should be about. It's about all of our pursuit of happiness and because of that most important human cause, we need a, a government that's accountable to us, a, de- a democracy. We need to stay on this path of liberty and justice for all, no matter, you know, there are people on the far right now who are calling for us to abandon democracy because it's not serving our interests anymore. I say that's absolute nonsense, but we've got to start putting people first. And, and that's what we're doing here in this campaign. But I think it would well serve, it would serve well uh, both parties. You talk just now, and you've also mentioned in some of your campaign materials, the need to defeat extremism. Extremists are loud. Extremists are vocal. Extremists take up a lot of time and a lot of attention. And they are sometimes hard to beat, it might seem, because they're so noisy. So now let's talk about your campaign as an independent. You are running to defeat extremism. Extremists are very effective in building coalitions. You can see that, you know, throughout history, and I'm not just uh, talking about in this country, extremists will build coalitions, let's say, between economic oligarchs and maybe religious groups of a certain sort. They're very good at building coalitions 
and they're very good at refusing to compromise, and they're very good at being certain and sure. Those on the other side, those who support democracy, those who support rule of law, tend to be less good at sound bites, a little more thoughtful, a little less secure, a little less confident. It sometimes seems that the scales are not very evenly weighted. And then when I think about the fact that independent thinkers don't always have the support of, you know, the the diehard partisans. So if you are, if someone like you is trying to build a coalition, you know, in another state, how do you do it when just by virtue of embracing an idea that is not a part of your side's political dogma, you can alienate thousands and thousands of people you know, just by virtue of doing that, you can lose so many folks that it becomes scary to be independent. So with all of that said, Evan, how are you going to make it, not just how, not just how are you going to win in Utah, but how are independents around America going to penetrate some of this noise? I think all your observations uh, are correct. I also think that they have described the status quo for some time. But I've also said for a long time that, look, extremists can't govern. You're, you're right. They make deals. They form coalitions as well. And, you know, there are certain people who are part of, uh, you know, co- there are groups of people who are part of coalitions with extremists, even though they themselves aren't exactly extremists themselves, although if they're willing to align with extremists, then, then you know, that, that's, that's a concern. That is all true. But at the end of the day, extremists cannot govern. They cannot govern. And I knew the day would come when most Americans would say, okay, enough is enough. Uh, our problems are too painful. They're impacting our daily lives in too serious of a way. We cannot continue with these extremes, with the rote ideologues or rote uh, ideological orthodoxy on one side or the other. We just need to do stuff that makes sense. And I think we're getting there. I mean, I I can speak most authoritatively about Utah, of course, so I use it as an example, but I think we're getting there more broadly as a country too. But here in Utah, okay, so we've had single party rule. It's become more and more extreme, although we do have some moderate unifying Republicans here in Utah. We've had single party rule and that has allowed extremism to fester and grow uh, in a way that has made it difficult for us to overcome major challenges. So, you know, our our air quality is so bad in the summer here that our kids' soccer games get canceled. In Utah, that's a big deal. We Cities are trucking in water now. Uh, our gas prices are some of the worst in the country. And I could go on and on. But my point is just that extremes cannot govern. And so people have been dissatisfied for a long time. You've made, you've, you've referred to that. And they have been looking for alternatives. They've turned in many cases to ex- the extremes. The extremes have had their opportunities, uh, their opportunity to govern. They have not been able to help us overcome major challenges that are impacting our daily lives. And now that pendulum, I believe, is swinging back. And people are looking for another kind of change, a positive kind of change, a rejection of the politics of division and extremism. And, you know, trading that in conspiracism for unity and people who will, who will work constructively and, and truth over, over lies. I think that we're, we're seeing that. There's some challenges to that. Uh, but I do believe that the extremists have had their chance to govern. They failed to do it. More and more Americans are recognizing that. January 6th made, made that clear. 
And now the rest of us have an opportunity to stand up and say, there's another way, let's do it this way. And, and you know, that, that encourages me and that makes me optimistic for our future, not only here in Utah, but as a country. You mentioned in your campaign materials, the need to unite Americans across common ground. What's the common ground right now? The common ground, in my view, is is our our values. You know, of course, we're not going to get everybody with that. But what I found is that if you start with our, our values or ideals, and what I mean by that is that we're all created free and we're all created equal, both in value and equal under the law. Those those are our core values as a country. And there are other things that are important too, like truth and decency and and these things. Uh, but when you start there, most of us are united. Then, and, and what we find is some important common ground that then allows us to find common ground on, on important policy issues. And we still have differences. And in this coalition that we're building here in Utah, and by the way, we're doing it. I mean, we are, we are making progress. We're in a neck and neck race already with Senator Lee, and we have months to go in this campaign. So, you know, we are, we are doing this, we're having success with it. But what I find is when you start with values, then you, you bring most people to your side and then you, you find areas of common ground. You listen to each other more because you found common ground on values. That, that's trust building. There's a trust building element there. And then you find common ground on really important policy issues facing the country and you also still have areas of disagreement. But what you realize is that you can work with each other and move the state or the country forward. And, and so that's been our whole strategy in building this coalition is starting with values or ideals, then listening to each other, finding common ground on, on even the most difficult issues facing the country, and, and then standing up together against uh, a, shared, uh, a shared threat, which is, you know, are the extremes that threaten our democracy. How do you pierce past the culture war issues? Because that's the red meat that gets people fired up. People might say that they want to build a better educational system or you know they want kids to learn, they want this and that, but mention one of those culture war issues and you get uh, each side's respective bases fired up and nobody's it, no one will see anything else but that. So how do you pierce past that? Because I, I have to imagine, you know, I mean, you're looking at, uh, it's a pretty interesting time um, and the cultural and legal environment. Roe v. Wade was just overturned. Senator Ted Cruz has uh, called for somebody to take up Justice Thomas's invitation to challenge the right to marry. So there are these cultural things going on that rile people up and, you know, uh, probably should, frankly, if you believe in things one way or another. How do you pierce past all of that to say, okay, you know what? You may be pro-choice and you may be pro-life, but I need the two of you to come together and work with me on X, rebuilding the American economy. How do you do that? Because rebuilding the American economy seems very you know, vague. Supporting someone's views on abortion rights or gay marriage, that doesn't seem so vague. Those things feel more immediate. So how do you get past some of the culture war issues to get people also to focus on other things in addition to those? Because those are important too. 
Yeah, I, I would say that, that many of the issues that are taken up in our culture wars are truly important. That's true. However, the culture warriors exploit them, in my view, in many cases, especially politicians, for their political gain. And, and I think here in Utah, again, speak using Utah as the example, because that's where I'm campaigning and talking to people most. But people are just fed up with that, not fed up with the issues per se, but fed up with the, the, the politicization or the exploitation of those issues for someone's personal or political gain. I mean, you want to be a culture, you're an elected official or a candidate and you want to be a culture warrior. That's an easy road, right? You're going to raise a lot of money. You're going to spin people up, make them angry. You'll go on, you know, you'll go on the cable news channels. I mean, that is an easy path to take, but it's destroying the country and it's making life really hard here in Utah, at least. And I think elsewhere. So I think that there's actually a, you know, a, a market demand, so to speak, for another kind of approach. And people are not, you know, people recognize that a lot of these issues are really important, but they're looking for another way to tackle them because they understand increasingly that the approach of the culture warriors uh, is often exploitative of those issues and the people who are impacted. So for example, here in Utah, you know, and with this campaign, we're finding common ground on these tough issues. And, and there's still lots of areas of disagreement, um, but we're finding common ground that offers a more productive way forward. So on guns, for example, you know, I, I'm, I support the Second Amendment. I'm a gun owner, you know, grew up with guns, served in the CIA, had guns, still own guns. But I also think that it's important that, uh, and the Second Amendment says so, that we have you know, laws that, that govern that, that right, that constitutional right. And I believe that we can protect the lives of our children, our family members, our communities, while also upholding a, an existing constitutional right that I also think is important. And we, so we can do that. But you know, Mike Lee is attacking me for this. He's running ads right now, paying to run ads against me because I've called for strength and background checks on gun sales the most common sense thing you could ask for. And because he's such an extremist and because he's supported by extremists, it makes sense for him in a very narrow way. I don't think in the long term it makes sense for him, by the way, but in his view, it makes sense for him to run ads attacking me for calling for even the most common sense reform. So he can do that all day long. I'd like to send him money so he can keep running that ad. I think it helps us more than it hurts us. Um, but but what I'm getting at here is just that people are looking for a more productive way forward because it's just life is getting too tough without it. And so that creates an opportunity for people like me to approach those tough issues in a more constructive way. And there's actually oxygen for that, whereas in the past, I don't think there really has been as much. All right. So let's fast forward in Evan McMullen's dream world. Evan, independent candidate for the United sure States you Senate. Go there? <laughs> and then we're going to talk about the CIA. No, I'm just kidding, but not kidding, kidding, not kidding. Um, so let's say you win. Evan McMullen, U.S. candidate for the United States Senate from the great state of Utah. I have been there just to ski. You win. You're an independent. You're now in the U.S. Senate. What are you going to do that's different? How are you going to make a change? Who are you going to caucus with? What's your first well, the, bill? The that's a lot of questions. Yeah, that's a lot of questions. Well, well let, let me be, be very clear about what my priorities are. I've, I've listed five priorities because I, you know, not that they're the only five things that matter. A lot of things matter, but I'm focused on these five things. 
protecting our democracy and standing up to the extremists that threaten it. And what am I talking about? I'm, I'm talking about, you know, protecting voting rights. I'm talking about, you know, standing up to partisan gerrymandering, which I think is largely responsible for tearing apart our country um, and making a bunch of reforms that we need to protect our system from authoritarians who would like to dismantle it. Um, I also think it's very critical that we find a way to lower healthcare costs. You know, we, we pay more for healthcare care than anybody, anyone else in the world. As Americans, there's all kinds of corruptions in the prescription drug market, for example. We can lower those prices by standing up to special interests. That's key. Protecting our air and water. Here in Utah, I've talked about it before, we're experiencing some real hardships because of environmental changes, because of climate change, and we've, we've got to protect our air and water, and we need to make reforms on that front. So I'm committed to that. I also think it's important that we get our fiscal house in order and lower inflation. Inflation is a thief, and it's a, you know it's impacting my family and most families in the country. We, we've got to we've got to find a way, and there are ways. There are things we can do to lower gas prices and lower inflation. Uh, lastly, you know I come from a national security background. I want to keep America safe, and that means a lot of different things. That means everybody's safe in our communities. That means we're all treated equally under the law. That means that we maintain strong alliances with other free nations, uh, which I think were harmed under, under the last administration. But those are, those are my areas of focus. How will I get any of that done? How will I make any improvements on any of those fronts? Well, I intend to maintain my independence. And people say, oh, you can't do that. You got to join one side or the other. Well, I've checked with the Senate parliamentarians, and they've confirmed that, no, I don't have to caucus with either side. So I'm not going to. I will be in coalition with other, as I said, other pro-democracy senators. And, you know, I know a lot of those are Democrats, but there are Republicans too. Uh, you know, Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, some others. You know, I, I will work uh, across party lines. Uh, if somebody disagrees with me 90% of the time, that's okay. We'll work on 10% of things together. And it will make Utah the most influential state in the union, specifically our coalition of Democrats, Republicans, and independents, and our network across the country that's joining this effort. It will make us the most influential in, in, the, in the country. And with that, we'll do a tremendous amount of good, I believe, on those issues and many others. And we'll just, I'll, I'll be, my goal is to, to better represent Utahns but also serve this country in a way that puts people first. I'm going to, I'm going to stand up to the special interests. I don't need to be a senator forever, but, if there, but I want to have a, a positive lasting impact on, on the country. And in order to do that, I've got to be willing to stand up to the special interests and other powerful forces that have, that have created the broken politics that, that are our status quo. And so I'm committed to standing up to those things and I know I can best do that as an independent. You said you don't want to be a senator forever. Do you believe in term limits? Do you think we should have term limits? I think I think term limits uh, would be a good thing. Yes, I do. I think that you know there's some tension between you, you want to have senators and representatives who have enough experience in lawmaking and legislating to be effective. So you don't want people to go in for you know uh, probably just a single term and then you're out because then i think that weakens the 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 legislative branch which is the branch that most represents the people in my view because it's most accountable to the people um but it, at the same time if you have people serving forever 40 years is an extreme example in one chamber or another you know they become beholden not to the people but to their own interests and and i think that's a problem and it's very hard to to get them out at that point and the people suffer. I myself am a little bit on the fence for precisely the reasons you say. You don't want 
you, you, you want to have the uh, institutional, uh, not integrity, but the smarts, you know, people who've been there long enough yeah. to kind of know how things go. But my goodness, I mean, you know, I sometimes feel like some of our elected leaders are afraid to go get another job. Like you should learn how, you should remember how to brush off that CV and go get another job. There are other jobs. Evan, it has been so much fun having you here. I do hope you'll come back. I think that um, I, I am quite uh, flattered and honored that you would take time to uh, come on my little podcast while you are campaigning for such a big job. Uh, so I appreciate it. And I do hope you'll come back and uh, good luck. to well, you. Well, it's my pleasure. My pleasure, Tanya. I've enjoyed this conversation and, and I'm, I'm not trying to flatter you when, when I say that your questions are very thoughtful and thought provoking, even, even for me. And I talk about these things all day long. So thank you very much. Would love to come back. Oh, thank you. 